in the US alone, bad data is costing um, uh, up to $3 trillion annually. Um, so there is without question, just massive amounts of money um, kind of being burnt day to day um, just by having bad data in the supply chains. That's Rob Tucker, founder and CEO of Meta, quoting Harvard Business Review and talking about the hidden costs of bad data. You're listening to the Metadata Matters podcast from Grey Meta. In this podcast series, Grey Meta talks to people working with metadata on a daily basis to understand their perspectives and learn about best practices. In particular, I will focus on how technology like machine learning and AI can help generate, curate and work with that metadata. I'm Matt Eaton, Managing Director of EMEA at Grey Meta. This week, I talked to Rob Tucker from Meta, a company who has a film and broadcast content metadata platform. We discuss a range of topics, including the impact of bad data to a media organization, how metadata drives viewer engagement and reduces churn, and some exciting examples of how using different types of metadata could improve content personalization. Here's the interview. So welcome to another um, episode of Metadata Matters, the Great Meta podcast. And this week, we're talking to Rob Tucker from Meta. Hi, Rob. Hey, Matt. Nice to be here. Um, thanks for the invite. It's great to have you on and, and uh, very appropriate um, to, for you to be on here as well um, in terms of what your company does and, and the company name, um, not least. Um, so uh, just to start off, could you introduce yourself and uh, talk a bit about the role Meta plays in terms of helping content owners manage metadata? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, uh, first of all, I just wanted to say that the idea of a metadata podcast was something that we've been talking about for years. Um, but I think that it's quite easy to, to miss how hard it is to actually kind of put it together and build up the following. So just, you know, congratulations on, um, on what you've got, because you seem, you know, it's in everybody's LinkedIn feed. So, uh, so, you know, well done. It's not an easy task. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. And, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a passion, uh, and I think uh, you know everyone that, on, that comes on uh, has a passion for metadata. So I think we're yeah. Okay. Well, good. Um, all right. Well, so to give just a, a brief um, bit of background as to how uh, Meta came about. So my my background essentially goes back. I started out working at um, Apple uh, on the design team for for seven or so years there. And that was, um, it was a great experience, as you can imagine with Apple, it's all about kind of focusing on the minutiae, um, which is a great kind of foundation, you know, when you get into kind of metadata. Um, fr from that point, I then moved on to um, editing, post-production uh, kind of work, specializing in uh, online delivery. So, you know, delivering content to broadcasters, and this was like pre-DPP. So you had to become familiar with all the different, you know, specifications for the different broadcasters, um, delivered the first piece of HD content to Channel 4, DCPs to cinemas. So really kind of immersed myself in the, in the kind of technical side um, of, of broadcast. And then that led on to, um, to doing a lot of remote work. So kind of, um, you know, going off and, and covering sports tournaments and things in remote places like Tanzania and Sierra Leone. Uh, and I would go there and essentially cut highlights uh, from a tournament. And then I would uh, um, deliver them back to, to London for, for satellite playout. Uh, and how that used to happen was pretty ridiculous. Um, you know, you would have your your svelte MacBook and a small breakout box, uh, like firewire breakout box, and but then you'd also have to take with you this kind of sixty kilogram digibeta deck, 
um, which was absurd. And so you'd cut five minutes of highlights, uh, you'd then play it out onto a Digibeta tape, and then somebody would fly that tape back to London um, to go out on a satellite feed. Uh, and you could have people flying four or five times, you know, in a single tournament back to get the tape out to the feed and, and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, this is about 15 or 16 years ago, and, and H.264 was fairly new at that point, and I'd started to play with it a lot because um, I liked the idea of, you know, great content at small sizes. Um, and I spent a lot of time kind of reverse engineering stuff that came out of iTunes because they, you know, encoded their trailers really beautifully at that point. Uh, and I was really just interested in seeing how to get content to broadcast specifications, you know, encoded in that format. And I didn't really know it at the time, um, but this was kind of where my, my startup journey began. Um, we had a tournament in the Isle of Man, and about three weeks before the tournament, I tore my Achilles tendon, uh, and I still had to go. So I basically was on crutches with the cast and everything, and I got all my kit to the airport, um, including the Digibeta deck. And when I was checking in, um, the guy said that the deck was too heavy for even two people to carry to the plane. And I was like, going, well, I've got to go and whatnot. And he said, well, the only way that you can get the deck on the plane is if you carry it across the tarmac to the plane yourself. Um, so 10 minutes later, I'm on, on my, I've got my crutches, I've got my cast on, and I'm ligging this, lugging this uh, Digibeta deck across the tarmac. Uh, and it was at that point, I thought to myself, there's, there's got to be a better way of doing this um, than, than continuing this old, this old nonsense. So I went out into that tournament. I still played the, the, the tape out to Digi, Digibeta, but what I did at the same time was I got the highlights and I encoded them down to H.264. And I built a, a basic web page myself, um, just some kind of basic branding on it and whatnot, and put a download link on there, and then sent out an email to all the broadcasters saying, look, the content is going to be on the satellite feed tomorrow at whatever time, but actually it's available on this download link now if you can go and get it. Um, and that basically you know, changed, changed that whole thing. And so from that moment forward, no broadcaster ever waited for the satellite feed they all took the um took the the download from the page and, and from that moment on i never had to take a, a digi beta deck anywhere um and that basically i turned that concept into my um my first startup which was kind of um, influential in, in where we are today uh, i built a kind of product around it and it really combined all my experience of, of design and video and delivery um and you basically built out a, a, a company there and did loads of deliveries for the BBC and Formula One and the Olympics, all that kind of stuff. And, and that kind of got through to the point where we developed some technology in there. Technology got acquired uh, and then I moved on to um, consulting. So I was basically consulting across the supply chain, um, you know, loads of different film studios and broadcasters. And the supply chains were obviously kind of super complex, transformations all over the place. Um, new features and, and platforms required new data sets and uh, taxonomies. Uh, and this was, you know, normally held in these kind of custom built uh, legacy applications, kind of bloated, continually kind of patched on outdated uh, technology. And I started in my own time just kind of fleshing out what a, a future, you know, facing solution would look like there that could basically handle all the traditional type of metadata, you know, your cast and crew and your synopses and awards and that kind of thing. But also that was able to kind of handle, you know, the type of stuff that you guys deal with, you know, hundreds of thousands of keywords, timestamps and conference ratings. And really just started to kind of build an idea in my mind about what this would look like. Um, and then I spent quite a long time at um, Warner Media uh, on the international side. And that's you know, a massive operation. They're delivering to content over 200 linear channels in 80 languages. 
going out to three and a half thousand VOD partners and affiliates. And so their kind of challenges with data were, were really extreme. Uh, and so after a little while, I got the buy-in of the senior team there, um, in, in particular guy, James Crossland had recently come in uh, and was totally aligned on you know, the, the problems and, and what the solution would look like. And so essentially agreed to basically build an MVP product. Um, and in, you know, with that, Warner then became customer number one. Um, and then over the past you know, two and a half or so years, we picked up some other great customers like MGM and Fox, uh, Global Eagle, um, and it continually just been kind of investing everything back into the products. Um, and so, you know, that was really how, um, how Meta kind of came to be. Um, and then in terms of, you know, how we help customers manage their, their metadata, um, we have the platform. So, you know, we've got this really beautiful cloud-based application which is really heavily influenced by the kind of de design work that I did at Apple. Uh, and we think that it really kind of stands out in the enterprise space where you've got lots of systems in the supply chain that are kind of functionally okay, uh, but they're just awful to, to look at and to interact with. Uh, and so for us, it's all about the user experience, taking this kind of complex supply chain data and processes and making them really simple to, to access. Um, and we then essentially within an organization become the kind of categorical source of truth for a title catalog uh, within an organization um, from the, you know, the very start of the life cycle of a piece of content. We then allow them to enrich it with all the, you know, enrich those titles with all the kind of metadata that they need all within the same place. So things like editorial, descriptive, uh, classifiers, keywords, output, you know, from computer vision services like, like yourselves. Um, and I hate this phrase because you go to IBC and NAB and almost every stand has got this on there, but it's really kind of like a next generation um, title catalog um, management application. Um, and we also enable like, a ton of additional stuff like a lot of the tasks that were historically manual around um, enrichment, you know, enrichment from third party sources, we, we kind of have integrations with all of those so we can kind of automate the enrichment from services like, you know, IMDB and Common Sense Media, um, you know, automate matching with IDA and TMS. And we've got loads of other tools like uh, localization management tools, reporting tools. Um, so, so loads of great features around um, anything to do with the kind of core title catalog. Um, and then, on, we, you know, we also offer some kind of services as well. So, you know, up to that point, we basically offer these kind of beautiful tools, but the, the quality of the data is really in the hands of the customer. Um, so we also have teams that basically can be embedded into organizations to help them um, with the data itself, you know, basic kind of stuff like bulk review of the catalog, finding and fixing errors, normalizing attributes, consolidating values that kind of thing um, and also that team do things like you know writing uh, copyright and synopses you know contextual synopses curating cast and crew uh, and really kind of enriching those catalogs um, to, to a super high standard for the delivery to epg and bod and, and d2c uh, and things like that so yeah so that's the background and kind of how we help customers today yeah great thanks that's that's a great story and having torn my own achilles tendon um playing squash once um i can only imagine the pain and the image of you struggling across the tarmac with them to the plane is is excruciating um it was, it, it was too too much it was yeah it was one of those like compelling events where i was like no there's got to be a better way yes exactly yeah no it's uh, um and having seen the demo of meta i mean i can att attest to the uh 
it's a thing of beauty and uh you know very elegantly kind of uh, put together and i i think you know it belies the complexity behind it i mean having in the past I mean, i've worked um as a consultant doing business process re-engineering and, and, and analysis and and the, the the sheer number of excel spreadsheets that you find are yeah. being actively managed on a day-to-day basis to keep broadcast supply chains running especially when it comes to localization you know there, there are several i think um i, I looked at um, an, a, an apac uh, operations um and uh, they had uh, around 60, 60 plus Excel spreadsheets that were being actively managed on a, at least a monthly basis. Um, and, and of course, any, any one um, title changes or the availability changes of that, then you, you'd think that all Excel spreadsheets would need to be updated and, and, and things like that, but uh, just extraordinary um, you know, effort in order to keep tabs on you know where the asset is the metadata attached to it and and, and uh, what has to happen to it next but could you talk i mean i'm sure you come across this quite a lot i mean can you talk about some of the hidden costs and impact of bad metadata um within uh, uh within the broadcast and film industry yeah i mean it's it's a, it's a great point because everybody knows that they've got to deal with their metadata, they see the kind of symptoms of it within their organizations, um, so that, you know, they need to fix it, you've got poor user experience, whatever it might be. Um, But it's really interesting to kind of go out quite macro, um, because there is actually a lot of information available about the, you know, the financial impact and the cost of um, what this is uh, having to an organization. Um, and there's some there's some interesting um, you know things that, that you know we kind of collated to describe this. Um, so I'll, I'll run through a few few a few of the more interesting things we found here. So I mean the first one is uh, you know all from you know decent sources. Uh, so Gartner um, you know estimated that for companies that have bad data um, within their supply chains, you know, enterprise companies, the average financial impact of that is $9.7 million on an annual basis, um, you know, which is a pretty pretty big figure. But you know, as you get into these organizations and you see that the effect um, that it has, and we talk about proliferation, but you know, we, we have lots of different people fixing things close to the point of delivery and all this kind of stuff, you can see how it would quite quickly uh, add up to, to that kind of level. And then Harvard Business Review expanded that even further and basically just kind of mapped it out to the US uh, and came to the conclusion that in the US alone, bad data is costing um, uh, up to $3 trillion annually. Um, So there is without question just massive amounts of money um, kind of being burnt day to day um, just by having bad data in the supply chains, um, which is pretty staggering. Um, and then, you know, obviously everyone talks about big data, um, which is a great concept, but, you know, what's more important is good, clean, accurate data, because as you know, you know, you garbage in, gar- garbage out. And so we see loads of people today um, that have a data lake and that sits, you know, underneath or, so, you know, relating to their supply chain and then everything that goes through the supply chain ultimately ends up in that data lake. Um, and, you know, and that's pretty commonplace now, but obviously the data that's going in there is only going to be as good as the data that's flowing through the supply chain. And, and if that's bad, it's going to be impossible um, you know, to ever pull any meaningful in, insights out of that data lake until you fix those um, problems going through the supply chain. Um, so that's something that we see pretty common. 
Um, obviously, if you've got bad data, you never really know where you are. Um, you know, it leads to bad analysis, bad uh, business decisions. These things continually get compounded over time, uh, have a material effect on how the business performs. And then obviously that in turn leads to further kind of financial losses. Um, AI, um, you know, it, for, for AI, you know, good quality data is, um, is, is everything. Uh, and bad data then you know, fed into AI, it makes those projects take longer than expected. It means they will cost more or essentially eventually fail to achieve whatever the desired um, result is. Um, so you know, bad data in the supply chain can have a massive effect on AI services. And I'm sure that's something that you guys are familiar with uh, there as well. Um, there's the, the legal or compliance risk. I mean, obviously the regulatory burden is, is always increasing with GDPR and and those types of things. Um, but you know, more broadly, um, bad data presents a, a risk. And there's a good example there of, of a, a nameless company um, where essentially, uh, and this leads on to the second point as well, but basically they, they were you know, utilizing services uh, from a third party enrichment source. Uh, and that you know, metadata service also included imagery. And uh, you know, they, they got a picture of Dwayne Johnson that appeared in the app as you know, cast and crew. And totally coincidentally, the photographer that took the picture um, of Dwayne Johnson saw it and knew that it wasn't licensed and then, um, you know, took legal action against that streaming platform. Um, and it, it kind of also leads on to another really big gray area in the space at the moment. Um, and, then, you know, some people have kind of cottoned onto this and are kind of thinking about it. But ultimately, there's, there's a world of enrichment sources out there. Um, you know, providing editorial, metadata, all that kind of stuff, which can be a really good um, shortcut to filling gaps in catalogs and enriching legacy. Um, but something that, you know, when you get down into the fine print of these, um, these contracts, they're not actually giving you the right to use the data. They're simply aggregating the data and presenting it to you without any lineage or provenance as to really who owns the IP. So you could have a synopsis sitting in your catalog that you've got from a third party enrichment source that is actually the property of uh, another company. And I think that um, you know, as these streaming wars intensify and people start looking at this more closely, there'll be a lot of cases of this where you know, data has come in from third party sources without the right to use it. So anyway, there's a, there's a ton of kind of legal and compliance risk there. There's obviously um, churn, you know, is a huge one. One of the um, leading factors there is poor user experience. A lot of that is driven by, by bad metadata. People can't find it. Uh, it's not described correctly or at all. Um, and, and an interesting one around churn, I think this number is going around, you know, quite a lot now, but three really being the magic number there. So if a customer, a viewer interacts with your service three times a month or more, um, the likelihood of the churn, you know, drops to like 20% or something. But if they watch, uh, you know, one or two pieces of content a month, then the churn rate's like 80% or something. So churn, obviously everybody hates it, but it's a big side effect of having bad metadata. Um, duplication, task duplication, you know, without question, if you've got bad data in the source, generally those things get distributed and fixed close to the point of delivery. So you've got lots of people doing lots of task uh, duplication there. And that really leads to the kind of last one, which is just the overall proliferation. So if you've got that bad data in the source, then obviously 
um, you know, that uh, gets proliferated out to all of the downstream systems. From there, it kind of gets syndicated, it gets localized into other languages, uh, replicated across loads of systems, um, causing more, more problems, all kind of compounding itself. Uh, and, and there's a million more, but you know, there's you know some, some really clear, um, compelling reasons why people should be looking at actually, you know, not just moving to to new systems, but really focusing on cleaning up the, the data that's there. Yeah, no, there's some pretty compelling um, uh, examples there as well. And in fact, the um, the topic of copywriting metadata uh, came up in a podcast recently that I did with um, all three media. And, um, you know, I, I do think that this is becoming, uh, it, it will become more of an issue. Um, I think partly it's, it's the systems aren't there today. You know, uh, people maybe aren't using the, the meta platform that, that, that couldn't track that, uh, you know, whether they had rights for it or not. But it's, uh, I think that, that that's, that's a really interesting area. Um, and and the, through that, throughout this supply chain, the content's getting enriched more and more, um, and it and it's right to kind of build on the metadata that already exists. But you know, do you have the rights uh, to use that in different ways? Later? Well, you know, it's it's fascinating because you know you've got companies like the Olympics, right? And so they've got all these tools that scrape the web the entire time, looking for you know usage of the Olympic logo. And every time they get picked up, they validate, is this licensed, is it not? And then they'll go after them going, you can't use this logo. It wouldn't be too much of a stretch for companies, you know, these big companies where they've got a lot of um, value in their IP to go, all right, these are all of our synopses, for example. Um, let's do the same thing. Let's go off. Who's using our synopses somewhere that's our IP and, and they shouldn't be using it. Um, and I think, you know, it wouldn't be that technically complex for somebody to, to go off and perform that kind of a task. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's uh, so uh, just turning into the benefits and value um, that you know great metadata can can add. I mean, would you be able to touch on a, a few examples of that? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know people that are, are listening to the podcast, you know, have been talking about these things. But it's 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 always good to kind of underline the benefits. The the biggest one from our perspective is, you know, well, from my perspective personally as well, is just the user experience. Um, you know, the, the better metadata makes it much more easy to connect your content with your viewers, right? And so, you know, there shouldn't need to be any more kind of compelling reason than that one. Um, you know, it drives better um, and more accurate platform features and functionality. Um, and I was reading, I'd not heard this term before, I should have heard this term before, uh, the bounce rate. Uh, I was reading about this this morning. Um, and the bounce rate is determined by the number of users that come onto a platform and they browse for an hour and then they leave without watching anything. And a good bounce rate is 32%, which I found absolutely staggering that it's good for 32% of your users to come on and browse for an hour and not find anything, which is just staggering. Um, and there are some platforms where the bounce rate is up to 80%. Um, and, you know, I found that to be, um, you know, a really interesting thing that I learned this morning. Um, but anyway, next up are obviously insights. Um, you know, good quality metadata enables you to unlock hidden insights in the data. And that could be social media insights or, you know, enabling predictive models for advertising, pricing, sales forecasting, that kind of stuff. Um, and the deeper 
and more accurate and more contextual the metadata than the higher quality of the business insights, you know, leading on to um, things like better decisions, competitive advantage, higher profits, all that kind of stuff. Um, productivity, so within the organization, good quality data allows staff to be more productive um, to the tune of something like 30%, you know, when they're working, you know, when they're not having to kind of fight through bad data and fix things, uh, they end up being substantially more productive um, instead of wasting time fixing stuff. Um, so there's some real kind of, um, you know, benefits there for companies. Um, obviously, it kind of uh, de-risks things from an IP perspective, gives you a clear audit trail of data sources uh, and all that kind of thing. Um, monetization is a big one. So something that we see frequently in customers' catalogs is that new content is beautifully enriched, you know, with all the different links synopses and cast and crew and all that kind of stuff. But as you go back in time through the legacy, um, the presence of the quality of metadata drops significantly. And all that really means is that, you know, there's all this IP sitting there that isn't really well described. And that then becomes a challenge to, to be able to, you know, sell and license that and get it in front of customers. So there's a huge opportunity there, just in terms of monetizing, better monetizing uh, the catalogs that people have already. Um, discoverability, so obviously the better quality, the uh, the metadata, the easier it is for someone to find it in a platform. Um, and we have seen you know, examples where great content goes out to platforms uh, and it is, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's in the source catalog or part of the supply chain, the metadata, descriptive metadata doesn't make it through, uh, which means that customers can't find it, which means the number of views it gets on the platform uh, is lower and thus essentially lowering its, um, its value. Um, and then the last one, which is kind of, you know, more future, we'll come onto this as well, but it's just around recommendations um, because, um, you know, really they're the kind of holy grail for viewers. Um, and, uh, you know, it, they're, they're entirely based on the quality of the metadata and, and the richness of the metadata that's fed into them. Um, you know, so there's, there's really clear reasons as to, you know, what it's costing today to have that bad metadata and then all these benefits of, uh, of, of fixing it. But it just seems to be one of those things that, you know, unlike... You know, a man that's kind of like, you know, outdated technology and it needs to be replaced, you know, it's a clear business need there. It really sits kind of quite vaguely across all of these different areas, not causing too much trouble in one particular silo to focus on it, um, you know, with different business owners across the thing. But when you look at it from that macro perspective, you know, there is there's really compelling reasons to kind of sort it out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think you, you you touched on a you know more a, a challenge uh, there as well in terms of you know the, the multiple business owners and uh, you know getting everyone together and and I think if you've got the executive uh, buying uh, to that vision that you've just, you know the benefits and that understanding that that, that helps a lot. But uh, you know the uh, getting people to work together with their data. Um, Excellent. So, so moving on, what excites you about the the possibilities of metadata? Well, so where I really get excited um, is thinking about you know how all of these streaming services could be improved significantly. So, a lot of the kind of things that I'm looking at, reading about, and interested in are to do really with the future uh, and essentially new not new types of metadata, but just a, a focus on types of metadata that are not really looked at today that can deliver like incredible um, transformation to some of these services. So um, for me, the future of metadata really kind of is around personalization. 
um, personalization, you know, re recommendations, that kind of thing. So, you know, there's an interesting stat that I saw the other day that said something like 80% of all views today um, come from recommendations. Um, and then I read another study that said seven out of 10 um, consumers think that recommendations are terrible. So if you combine those two stats, it tells you that the way that most content is delivered to people today is awful and is simply the least worst way um, of providing the service. And I think that really sets, sets it up that the, a, a massive part of today's entertainment experiences are hugely ripe um, for, for disruption. Uh, and I think there's going to be massive improvements there as new types of metadata are factored into play. Um, and some examples of that would be more insights from um, viewing data and building patterns around those. Um, so the basic example would, there would be what you watch on different days uh, and at different times will likely follow a predictable pattern that can be used to improve recommendations. So for example, you might notice that you know, from 4 to 6 p.m., somebody's watching documentaries and that could be background viewing as they're kind of finishing up their day and working through some emails. Uh, then 8 to 10, um, they're watching sci-fi movies uh, and that's time to kind of zone out and give the brain a rest. Um, and so I think, you know, again, it's super basic, but start to feed some of that data um, into recommendations uh, more uh, will deliver a better, better result there. Um, there's data around the experience, which kind of feeds on from the habitual, but um, getting data, more, more context around the experience, you know, so trying to understand what the intent of that person's viewing was, what their emotional state might be, are they alone, are they with one or more um, other people, friends, partner, family, uh, are they actively watching the screen in terms of screen priority, or are they kind of passively consuming it, uh, they've got another device at their primary focus, um, and, you know, a big one is getting feedback um, from the viewer around their experiences because you know most recommendations work today because like okay they've started uh, know, get carter and the playhead went all the way to the end right so we count that as they liked it um, but they might have watched it and hated it um, so that really isn't enough data to feed into to recommendation algorithms so they're gonna be, they're going to need to be smart about this because people hate friction and they hate, you know, they don't even like, you know, yes or no. Um, so they're going to be, have to get smart about how they elicit that feedback from users. Um, did they like it? Why did they like it? If they didn't like it, why not? Uh, all of that data would be like a, a force multiplier on driving uh, better recommendations. Um, so that's the kind of like experience concept. I think that all of the, you know, the more and the better metadata that is fed into that supply chain will enable simplification of services. And I don't know who said it, it might've been Steve Jobs, but it's simplification is the ultimate sophistication. So really the better the service becomes, the more that the UI will be able to essentially get out of the way. So it seems like almost impossible to imagine today, but there isn't any real technological reason that you shouldn't be able to just sit down for the majority of your viewing and just simply be presented with the perfect content for you to watch at any given time. Uh, obviously, you'd have a UI there as a fallback, um, but really, um, the better and more comprehensive the metadata becomes around the whole experience, the more elegant and, and the, the, more, the simpler um, the experience should become. Also, you know, the characters themselves within the content, there's loads of quantifiable data there that could be used because generally people like characters 
that compound or, or amplify who they see themselves to be. There's, and there's two, two more. Um, there's content profiling, right? Which is, you know, the basics here, is it a thrilling uh, piece of content? You know, and that's covered in a rudimentary way today by genre classifications and things like that. But, but it can, that can be expanded again into really cool places like, you know, is it warm? Um, does the, the, the title have a strong sense of community? Is it rebellious? Um, and so there's all this kind of data that's imbued in the content that people gravitate towards in terms of you know, entertainment preferences um, that could really be quantified um, and useful from, from a recommendation perspective. Uh, and then the last one, and I, don't, I, I think that this should be the future, but we just don't see anybody really um, touching on this one, but is this psychographic metadata, right? Which is, you know, character profiling um, generally revolves around these kind of the big five character traits, which are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Um, and most people kind of relate all this to Cambridge Analytica because of the nefarious ways they were able to kind of predict people's behavior through Facebook and whatnot. Um, but pretty much exactly 10 years ago, uh, a team at Cambridge University conducted a pretty major study to see if you could correlate people's psychological, uh, psychographic profiles with their entertainment preferences. Um, and the, the result of that was just absolutely yes. Um, so, you know, you can imagine here the scenario, and it might sound a bit ridiculous, but the first time you sign up for streaming services, streaming service, you've got to answer some odd questions, you know, and they're the kind of questions like, Am I the life of the party? Agree, disagree, you know, strongly or whatever. Um, I get stressed out easily. I change my mood a lot, etc. And just a five-minute exercise there would provide this kind of really incredible baseline um, that would then get enhanced over time because everybody's slightly different. And so you could have a psychographic profile, but you just love all the Jason Statham movies or something like that and be all, all improving over time. And you would need to match this to the content as well. So you would actually have to be able to build a psychographic profile against a piece of content. But then if you could actually have those two profiles from both ends of the supply chain and map those together, the type of recommendations that you could do would be like leagues beyond the type of things that are happening today, which are all pretty similar. So I think really, and it's more of a hope, I hope the industry goes in this direction, but I think the future is super bright in terms of you know, metadata and where it's going. And I think that we will see companies and services move from this really kind of what is a, almost like a 1.0 uh, streaming service platform idea today to like hopefully really you know, intriguing uh, experiences in the future. So, so quite, quite random, but um, yeah. Uh, that's... I think it's, a, it's a, such a thoughtful kind of set of, um, uh, of things to be excited about. It's, it's really cool. I, I, I like the... Um, the idea of having a psychometric test to prime the uh, recommendation pump. Uh, I'm, why aren't people doing that? Uh, mind you, that data would be so valuable um, to have everyone's uh, effectively Myers-Briggs or, or whatever. Uh, other well, look, there's, there's a, I've forgotten the name of it and it'd be a great plug for them if I could remember it, but there is a, a website that does this for books, right? So you can go on and you do it's a clever play on words i wish i could remember it but basically you you complete a psychographic profile and then what it does is that they've got this team of people that have picked up the key characters in all these books 
and performed a psychographic profile on these characters. And so what it does is you finish it and then it matches you with the characters from in the different books and presents you with these books. And it's like, people that use that absolutely love it. And they're just like, these are just the best recommendations ever. And it is just, it's so there, it's sitting there in media and entertainment to do that, but just no one's really doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I can just see the advertising um, community and the uh, Google and Amazon and, and Microsoft rubbing their hands with that kind of data. That would be amazing. Well, it's all metadata, right? So, you know. And it's how it's used and, and used responsibly and things. It's brilliant. It's, I love it. And you've got Cambridge Analytica in there as well. So um, uh, props to you for that. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, um, great. I think we've run out of time, Rob, but thank you so much for um, coming on the podcast and, and sharing your um, your stories and, and uh, your, your perspectives. It's a total pleasure. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Subscribe to the Metadata Matters podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about generating enriched time-specific metadata or GreyMeta's Curio platform, visit greymeta.com or email me at metadatamatters, one word, at greymeta.com. See you next time.